always on the lookout for interesting articles, interesting stories. I uh, came across one a few years ago. A guy uh, actually managed to fake being a quadriplegic and sometimes being in a coma for two years in order to avoid being prosecuted. He was facing charges, and for two years, this, this charade went on, and uh, he actually stayed in a wheelchair in public for two years, was basically pretending, not basically, was pretending to be an invalid, and that every time his court date would come up, he would check himself into a hospital uh, in order to avoid pe- appearing in court. And again, this went on for two years. And, and eventually he was caught because he was seen walking around a department store and uh, just strolling around in a public area. Caught on camera, the police figured it out, so he was only, only able to carry it on for, for two years. I mean, not a good guy, but you kind of have to be impressed with his commitment, right? Um, but faked being in a coma at times during that, he, he, you know, which is not an easy thing to do. Well, I've, I've read that story and I've, I've hung on to it, you know, partly because it's, it's strange, but partly because, you know, I wonder if we could say that at least in part, the church in America is, is in somewhat of a coma. Um, I, I think we see that. I, I think that we, with statistics, we see uh, the decline in evangelical churches in America. As a matter of fact, a new study that was released, a study that was done during 2018 was released by the General, it was the General Society Survey. Uh, Y'all have heard of nuns, right? Those in America that claim no religious affiliation whatsoever. When asked the question, what religion do you practice, do you affiliate with? They say none, and hence the, the label nuns. And that number has grown steadily in recent years. Just with this last study, they actually outnumber, by a small percentage, outnumber for the first time those who claim to, to have faith, to, to practice specifically evangelicals. Um, 23% of the people that were surveyed claimed no religious affiliation. Evangelicals make up about 21, uh, excuse me, 22.5%. That's, nuns have grown from 21 to 23% since 2016. We have dropped from 23 to 22% since 2016. Denominations, not just, you know, that's all evangelical churches as a whole, but denominations, our denomination, Southern Baptist, the most recent numbers show that we're at an all-time low in membership, 14.8 million members. That's the first time we've been below 15 million since 1989, and the lowest it's been since 1987. So now I've got you good and, and depressed, and, uh, but those are the numbers. Um, here's the good news, though. You know, yes, it appears that the church is declining, and it is in some ways, but God still very much has a plan for his church and for his kingdom. We've spent the past several weeks talking about our place in that and how we fit into that. And, and this, this week, this message is very much a follow-up to that and, and what my place individually, because God has a plan for his church and his kingdom. And, and what's amazing about that plan is that he chooses to use ordinary individuals like you and me to accomplish his purposes. 
He gives us, regardless of your strengths or weaknesses, He created you with intent, with purpose, with gifts and abilities to play a role in advancing His kingdom. And it begins with my personal decision, my commitment to Him. And above that, He assures us, yes, you as an ordinary individual are called to serve Him, but He promises us that He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. So His power at work in us, we are able to do things that we never thought we could. So if you are a follower of Christ, He has a purpose for you in His kingdom. And what we're talking about this morning really is living life on mission. How to live your life on mission, what it means to live your life as a missionary uh, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, creating what we're talking about is creating gospel intentionality in your everyday activities. As you go through your life every day looking for opportunities to share the gospel and creating those opportunities, being intentional in your everyday life, as in your role as an everyday missionary. I want to look first at Acts chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 17. I just want to read two verses there as we begin. And this really describes our our place in our lives along with the sphere of influence that God has given us and what the purpose in Him doing that is. Acts 17 verse 26. From one man... He has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and boundaries where they live. In other words, you and I, we have boundaries in our lives, right? We have an area that we have some influence over, that we come into contact with people. And that was all divinely appointed by God. Verse 27, here's why he did this. He did this so that they might seek God. And perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. What was the purpose? He set us, gives us boundaries, gives us an area of influence for the purpose of leading folks, influencing people to to the Lord. I mean, so that they might trust him, so that people might come to know him. They might seek God. We have a place in that. We have a role. We have a mission field. It is our everyday lives. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what it looks like to live life on mission. And this is going to show us how to be a missionary every day. The first step is this. We need to identify people who need the gospel. We need to, be, we need to have our eyes open, in tune, identify people he need, who need the gospel. And here's the thing. We can't wait for the world to come to us. We have to go to them in our daily lives. If you look in Mark chapter 5, there's a man that's possessed by demons. They send him to live by himself in a graveyard uh, because no one wants to have anything to do with him. Jesus is with a crowd of people. He goes from where he is across the river to this man in this graveyard that no one had anything, wanted anything to do with. He goes over there. He crosses over to be with this man, to minister to this man. What did Jesus have to gain from doing that? Absolutely nothing, but he was willing to cross over to go to the other side to minister to this man, to heal him of his affliction. Sometimes in life, if we are going to live life on mission, it means that we're going to have to go to the other side to minister to people, so to speak. That we're going to have to to be willing to love the unlovable. To reach out to people that maybe nobody else is willing to. That we pursue 
gospel-centered relationships with individuals who do not know Jesus. It it begins in our own backyards. Did you know that 28% of individuals don't know any of their neighbors at all? Yeah, we live in a busy world, and, and, and most of the, the places I've lived in, you know, most, most folks don't know their neighbors. Uh, when we lived in Scottsboro, I mean, it was like we went back in time 20 or 30 years. Everybody knew everybody. I knew all of my neighbors, and we watched out for each other. It was a very close-knit community. 28% of people don't know their neighbors at all, and another 29% only barely know their neighbors. So essentially, half of all Americans don't know their neighbors, don't know who lives next door to them. Jesus tells us that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. I mean, yes, that's the people you come into contact with, but that includes your actual neighbors. How can we love our neighbors if we don't know our neighbors? You know, we're so busy, we're so caught up in our everyday lives that we don't take time to build relationships with the people around us. Narcissus, in Greek myth- mythology, Narcissus was a character who was, uh, was standing next to a body of water. As the story goes, he caught his reflection in a, a, a brook, in a stream, and he was so amazed, so mesmerized with how good-looking he was that he stayed there. He could not leave looking at his own reflection. He stayed there until he died right there by that brook. That's the myth. That's the story. The point being, don't get too caught up in yourself. I, I'm afraid that that's, that's the, the biggest problem in America today. We're so caught up in our own lives. And listen, I get it. I've got four kids, wife, four kids, running from one thing to the next, it's easy to get caught up in the busyness that is your life. But if we're going to live life on mission, that means we're going to have to stop focusing on ourselves and start looking around at other people, their needs, their hurts, being willing to identify those people, because God will show them to you if you're looking, if you're listening, being willing to identify people who desperately need the gospel. But Let's, you know, it requires spiritual maturity. It requires a heart uh, for Christ, um, a heart given to you by Christ. But practically, where do we begin here? Where do we join God in his work? Well, there's a lot of different ways we can do it. But this, this morning, I'm going to let uh, Mike Abbott is here. He's one of our Gideons. And, and I'm going to let him share with you how he is doing that through the Gideon, how the Gideons are doing that. I was enamored with that story that Brother Allen told at the beginning about the guy trying to avoid the police and for a couple of years using a wheelchair or something. <laughs> I decided to see if it, if it really works. So. <laughs> Last two weeks, uh, Pastor Allen has focused his message on the vision, the mission, and the strategy for our church, Wall Highway Baptist. And that strategy can be boiled down into four simple words, connect, grow, serve, and go. Well, the connect and grow part of that is when we are being equipped, prepared, so that we can do the serve and go. And so this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about how several people in this congregation have chosen to do serve and go through a ministry called the Gideons International. Right here at Wall Highway, we have 12 members of our congregation, six men, six women, who serve as Gideons and Auxiliary in this uh, ministry. I know all of them are not here today, but for those who are here, would you just very quickly stand up and be identified? This is the time for audience participation. This is a little Gideon Testament. 
it is a regular testament, the New Testament. But Gideon's ad in the back of it, they include Psalms and Proverbs. In the front, they put some helps. If you're depressed, you're afraid, you're lonely, uh, it gives you some scripture verses where you can go and, and, and find uh, some comfort. And in the back, two pages, we put the plan of salvation. But it is the New Testament. I'm going to ask a show of hands if you have or have ever been given or ever offered a Gideon Testament. Raise your hand. Look around there. Thank you. That's a lot. If your Testament is red, you probably got that in grade school or high school. If it's green, you probably got it because uh, you were walking to your classes at a university or college one day and uh, there were men standing all over that campus uh, offering you a little testament. If it's dark blue, you're probably in law enforcement or maybe a firefighter. If your testament is white, that means one of our wives, the auxiliary, have come to uh, your nurse's graduation or maybe in a hospital, nursing home. Uh, they gave you a copy of that little white testament. There's a lot of other colors. Each color just designates the target audience that we give it to. If you have a full Bible, Gideon Bible, Gideon Place Bible, then I want to ask you to see the sheriff on your way out. Because <laughs> that means you stole that from a hospital or a motel. Uh, might have been the waiting room in the hospital or, or perhaps that doctor's office or the dentist's office. Our wives put those there. Now, I'm kidding about the stealing. We never consider people taking those Bibles out of the hotel. We never consider that stealing. That is simply a matter of receiving the gift that Gideon's placed there for you in your time of need. We always go back and we're going to replace those. Well, I mentioned that, uh, well, let, let me mention, who are the Gideons? What is this organization? We are a lay organization, meaning ministers aren't allowed. We're a lay organization of Christian businessmen and professional men. We serve together with our wives as all glory members for one purpose. The only purpose of the Gideons are not is to win the loss to Christ. Now, we don't do the winning. He does the winning. We simply bring people to the Lord. We present the gospel to them. How do we do that? Well, by placing and distributing the written word of God in all those places that I mentioned. But there's another way that we do that. And it's by personal witnessing, sharing Christ one-on-one -on -one with other people. I want to tell you for me personally, one of the greatest joys I get in this ministry is I get to go to jail. You, what? <laughs> yeah, I get to go to jail. Yeah, it was a little frightening for a few times. But I tell you, I look forward to that. There's a few of us in... Uh, Madison County, we have five Gideon camps in Madison County. The, the local organization is called a camp. And there's a few of us in those camps that are cleared and authorized to go into Madison County Jail. I, I team up with a young man uh, named Troy. He is a Gideon in our camp. He's a member down here at the Grace Baptist Church. He and I go once a month. They allow us to go into any floor. There's four floors in that, in that jail. It's a very large jail. And on every floor, there may be five, six, seven, eight different cell blocks. Bo Taylor is a chaplain to the guards down there to Madison Jail. Great opportunity to witness. So we choose whatever cell block we want to go into. 
We walk in there, they close the door behind us, it's just us and the inmates, there's no guards in there. It's a common area, and then there's individual cell blocks, two, two levels. That common area has maybe, I don't know, four, five, six steel tables built, bolted to the ground. Four stools around those that bolted to the ground. So we go in there and we kind of meet and greet a little bit. There's always a TV up there in that wall, so high nobody can touch it. And it's just blaring with whatever show is on, and the guards won't turn it off. So we have to overcome that as we speak to these men. Troy and I go in there for one purpose. It's the only time we're ever going to see these guys. We're there to tell them about Jesus. That's our only message. So we go in there and we, we, we start a little conversation, a little small talk. Try to find some, something in common that we can relate to them. And then we begin to turn this conversation into sharing the gospel with them. So one day, I want to say it's late summer, it might have been September. Troy and I are in there and six young men come and they sit around the table to listen to what we had to say. When we got done, we, as we always do, we give them an opportunity to repeat after us a prayer of repentance. I asked them, close their eyes, I'm going to lead you in this prayer of repentance. You don't have to say it out loud, but here's what I'm asking. If you want to make this prayer your prayer, you can repeat after me. I'm going to leave you time to say what I say. But if you don't mean it, don't say it. You're not praying for us. You're praying to God. They all agree. We close our eyes and we lead them through that prayer. Before they open their eyes, I, I just ask them to, uh, if they prayed to receive Jesus, would they just show a finger or a hand or something like that? On that day, all six prayed to receive Christ. Now, I've been going to jail for seven years. This hasn't worked, by the way. <laughs> and that's the first time that all the men who were sitting around our table, that every one of them prayed to receive Christ. This was trying to point about that day. And I let the men know that, how significant that was. Now fast forward, November, Monday night, Jeff Jones... John Bruce, Gary Looney, and I are at the downtown rescue mission. It's our Monday night to serve the meal. The early meal is 5 o'clock. We got done with that. We got about 15 minutes before the next group comes in. All the homeless people, maybe 50, 60, 70 people, we serve them at 5.30. I'm sitting down. My legs are bothering me. And a young man comes up to me. He said, uh, you're Gideon, aren't you? Well, yeah, I am. How'd you know? He said, uh, I was in the jail a couple months ago. I was one of those six. I said, really? So shortly after we were there, you, you were released? And what'd you do? Come over here to the downtown rescue mission and enroll in one of the programs, recovery program? Yes. And then he proceeded to tell us how much that meant to him how it changed his life by accepting Christ. We don't get feedback like that very often in the Gideon ministry. But that was a special day. I sent a text message to, to Troy 
he couldn't sleep that night. <laughs> so why do we do this? Why, why did Gideon's an auxiliary all over the world spend so much time, their time and their money, to do this? I think Acts 1.8 pretty well summarizes what we do and why we do it. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the world. Well, we're commanded to do it. But I think if you ask every one of those men and women, they would say, I want my life to count. I want to make a difference with my life. So that's how a bunch of us in this church have chosen to do the serve and go through the Gideon ministry. There's a lot of different ways that we do that in the ministry. So let me kind of summarize here and, and wrap up. I want to challenge everybody in here. You search in your prayer time with the Lord. Have him reveal to you the way that you can express your passion so that you can serve and you can go and help accomplish the mission of this church. God's got a plan for you. Find out what that is. Maybe you're interested in the Gideon ministry. We've got a bunch of us up here. We're, we're ready to tackle you. And we're going to tell you, we'd be glad to talk to you about the Gideon ministry. Or maybe you say, I, I want to be more supportive of the Gideon ministry, but I don't have time. Or maybe I don't think I'm eligible to join as a Gideon. That's okay. We have a program called Friends of Gideon, where you can join as a friend of the Gideon as a prayer partner or as a financial partner. There's certain benefits that go along with that. But in closing, I want, I want to say uh, we solicit your prayers, that we would always have men and women in this ministry who are willing to be the feet and the mouth, the hands to do the work of this ministry that God's called us to. Probably, if you have a little red testament, you probably did not get that in a public school in anywhere in Madison County because we're not allowed into public schools. So my prayer is that God would open those doors. We can't open them, but he can. We have uh, in the foyer out there, there's a little rack back over here by the restrooms that's uh, got some Gideon cards in there in memory and honor and recognition, thinking of you. That's a nice way you can... Donate Bibles all year long just by using those cards. And they're free. Speaking of free, every time we give out a, a testament, every time we place a Bible anywhere around the world, it's free. Well, it costs some money to get those things. Right? Where does that money come from? I will tell you a big part of that comes from church offerings. We're not going to take an offering today. However, when, uh, when the offering is taken up, some of our Gideons are going to get up and go to the back of the room. And uh, as you leave, they'll be back there with a plate. If you want to make an offering, uh, you can do that. 100% of what you give goes to purchase and to ship those Bibles, Testaments, wherever they're going to be distributed. None of it goes to any overhead. We're not paying light bills uh, at the Gideon headquarters. So let me leave you with, oh, and if you, if you choose to do that, and you want to write a check out, just make it out to Gideon's International. Thank I, I want to close by saying, uh, Brother Allen, thank you for this time. I think there's no better way to close than with a verse of Scripture. A verse that pretty well describes 
what we're doing. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Thank you, brethren. God bless. I don't know about you, but I, I agree with Mike in that I want my life to count. And, you know, that's one, one way that, you know, if we're going to make our lives count, we have to be intentional with our lives. First, we have to give our lives up in submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, but then we live life on mission. And that's one of the ways you can do that. Maybe God leads you to become a Gideon or to support the Gideons. But there are ways that we do that every day if we will only pay attention the key is that we have to begin to live life different than we have been. We've got to, to learn to go through our lives looking at our world, not through our own eyes, but through the eyes of Jesus. We have to ask the Lord to show us our world the way he sees it. Uh, to begin to see the people around us, to identify the people around us who don't know Jesus. Again, Acts 17, 26 and 27, I open with this verse. He has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and boundaries where they live. He's given you an area of influence. And he did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out to find him. Our communities, our workplaces, our schools, cities, neighborhood meetings that you go to, just your daily life as you live your life, doing it with your eyes open, looking for individuals who need Jesus. Start with where the natural rhythms of your life take you. Where, where, what is your daily schedule? Where do you find yourself through the day? And who are the people that come into contact with you? Look at the needs of people around you and don't forget to pray. I mean, prayer is, is the foundation of this. Let me just recommend something for you. We're talking about our neighbors. Walk through your neighborhood. And as you walk through, pray for your neighbors. Prayer walk your neighborhood. If your neighborhood's too big or if you can't walk the neighborhood, prayer drive your neighborhood. I mean, God knows your neighbors even if you don't. Uh, walk through your neighborhood and pray as you pass houses. I mean, you don't know what's going on in their lives, but, but, but what you're doing is asking God to show you the people around you to, that, that need to know him and to be able to look at people the way he sees them. So identify the people that are around you and be willing to invest in those. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Share, uh, we cared so much with you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you became dear to us. You know, being on mission isn't about going to a specific place at a specific time. Being on mission is about being intentional with your life. It's also about sacrificing your life, being willing to invest your life in the lives of others, sharing life because people that come to know Christ and people that are lost, they need to see how the gospel is lived out every day. They need to see God working in your life and how that affects your daily life. They need to see imperfect people serving a perfect God and what that looks like. And in order for that to happen, you have to invest. So we share with li our lives with people, make friends with people that, that don't know the Lord. Um, you ask someone to lunch that you know 
uh, doesn't know the Lord or you don't know where they are in their relationship with Christ, invite them into your home. Um, you know, whatever it takes, uh, be willing to take time out of your life to invest in the lives of others and, and be willing to serve others. Uh, my previous church, every year for several years, they would send a team to Belize. And, and one of the things they did one year when they went to Belize is they built latrines. That was their mission uh, project that year. They built latrines. Pardon the expression, but, but where do latrines need to be built in your life? I mean, who are the people in your life that need some latrines built? And are you willing to do it? Are you willing to serve others, even if it means getting your hands dirty? Are you willing to, to befriend individuals who are maybe on the fringes of society? It can be a homeless person at the rescue mission, but it doesn't have to be. It could be the socially awkward kid at school. I mean, maybe that nobody else wants to, to be around you, and you take that step to befriend that person. Or the person that's very difficult to love, but God's called you to love them and to befriend them. Identify and invest in those people and then invite them into relationships. Jesus' mission, we talked about it. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now, this morning... I'm just going to quickly give you, you know, all this is about, you know, you, investing in people's lives, sharing the gospel, and then building a relationship. But I want to share with you, uh, before we finish up this morning, uh, a tool that you can use to share the gospel with someone. Um, if, you, if you have an iPad or an iPhone or a smartphone or a tablet, raise your hand. All right? Don't play on it right now, but I'm just, you know. If you can find a pen and a piece of paper or a napkin, raise your hand. Okay, if you raise your hand, then you can use the tool that I'm about to give you. It starts with a conversation, in your daily conversations. How often in your daily conversations with people, even random people, does that conversation in some way, shape, form, or fashion turn to how, how difficult the situation in our world or how, how bad things have become in our culture today? Let's be honest. More often than not, that may not be a good thing, but let me tell you what it is. It's an opportunity to share the gospel. How do you do that? Well, you know, boy, I tell you, the, the world's a, a tough place right now. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, the world's a broken place. Have you ever experienced that in your own life? Have you ever felt like things were broken in your life? Well, of course I have. Well, let me tell you why that is. And here's the open door to share the gospel. And this is, this is something you can look up Life on Mission in the App Store, and you can download this on your iPhone or your iPad. But you can also draw it yourself, which I'm going to ask you to do. God's design. Let me tell you why things are broken. God had a, de a design originally, and it was a perfect design. He created man and woman, and he created them perfect, and he created them in his image, and he created them with, for a relationship with himself. And things were good for a while. But ultimately, man decided to do things his way, decided to go his own way instead of following God's way, and that's what we call sin. And we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so by doing that, man moved away from God's design, committed sin, separated himself from God, and that resulted in brokenness. And we are all broken We've talked about how things in the world are broken. It doesn't take long to see that. We've all experienced brokenness in our lives in multiple ways. And we've all tried to fix that brokenness in several ways. And that's where the squiggly lines come in. 
We've gone a lot of different directions in trying to fix that brokenness. And have any of us succeeded on our own? No, we haven't. But thankfully, Jesus provides a way to fix the brokenness, and that's where the gospel comes in. The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ, God himself becoming flesh, living as a human, a perfect, sinless life, and then dying on the cross to pay the price for your sin, to take on the punishment that you deserved, and being raised from the dead so that you and I could defeat death and live eternally with him in heaven. And by doing that, Jesus provides a way to fix the brokenness, but he won't force it on you. You have to turn to him, and that's where repentance comes in. But we repent and we believe in order to receive the gospel. Repentance simply means turning from your sin and brokenness and turning to Jesus for salvation. And by doing that, we receive the gospel, the brokenness, we are restored, and now once again... We can pursue God's design for us. His image is restored. We are justified before God and then we are sanctified each day as we become more like him. And we are pursuing his perfect design. It's that simple. And at this point, you've now got the opportunity to ask that person, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to have your life restored? They may or may not accept. I mean, Mike shared with you, how many times have all six of those people receive the gospel very few sometimes you won't see the results of sharing the gospel sometimes people won't receive the gospel but you're in this for the long haul you're looking to build a relationship with that person if they receive great if they don't you have done what you've been called to do in sharing the gospel you continue to work on that person you be patient with that person but if they do receive there are some next steps they need to take and what I love about the app version of this is that it tells you what to do next there are a few next steps that you can follow what should I do if I receive receive the gospel. There's the, the sinner's prayer. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So if they say yes, it leads you through how to lead them to Christ. And then it goes a step further in telling you what to do next. You know, prayer, God wants you to talk to him, join a church, study your Bible, share. I mean, the next step is that you help them get involved into a faith family to where they can grow. And you continue to disciple that person. We don't lead people to the Lord just to leave them to fend for themselves. That is not what we're called to do. If we're going to follow Jesus, design his model, we lead people to the Lord, and then we invest our lives into their lives so that they, we are reproducing ourselves so that those folks can reproduce themselves. That's the model. Jesus reproduced himself. He left his disciples to do the same. They did that. Their disciples did that. And it's led to where we are today, the New Testament church. The model has always been the same. We invest in others. We identify people that need the gospel. We are willing to invest our lives into them, into their lives. Then we invite them into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We lead them to the Lord. But then we don't stop there we multiply ourselves. We increase disciple-making by sending disciples out. That is our goal. The goal here is to see a movement. To see a movement in our community, in our lives, and beyond. To see a movement of disciple-making. Not just to fill up a church, not just to win a bunch of converts, that's great, but to create disciples. Disciples making disciples. Spreading, sending Multiplying movements, these are the goals 
that fit what we've been talking about for the past several weeks. And a simple way to see a movement like this is to raise up new disciples. That's what's behind the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. You've heard me quote this several times the past few weeks. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teaching them, discipling them, teaching them to observe. They see it in your life. They model it in their own. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And Jesus says, I'll be with you. I'll equip you. I'll empower you. Regardless of the specifics, being intentional about this is just that, being intentional in my life. Again, as you go through your daily life, ask God to show you your world the way he sees it. To see the people in your life the way he sees them. And if you can do that, if you will receive that, you'll begin to see the people around you in a completely different way. You'll see them with compassion. You'll see them in their brokenness and recognize that you too were broken. And it's only by God's grace that we are all saved and set apart. Let me give you a model for this. I'm going to close with this. Probably seen this before. It's been used even in organizations. It's been used in terms of teaching individuals. But it can very easily be applied to discipleship. Um, it, It illustrates how we help people grow and mature around us. And here's the formula. I lead someone to Christ, and I'm investing in their lives. I'm going to walk alongside them. The first step is, okay, I do, you watch. You watch me serve the Lord. You watch me live for the Lord. And in this, I'm leading them, and, and, and I'm, I'm teaching them how to be a follower of Christ. The next step is, I do, you help. You begin to share responsibility, serving with them, showing them um, how to serve the Lord. You still lead, but you start to let them help however they can. The next step is, okay, now you do and I'll help. I'm giving you more responsibility. I'm helping you see the gifts and abilities that God has given you, and now I'm going to give you some responsibility. I'm going to give you some areas where you can lead, you can serve, that you can begin to disciple. The next step is, and I'm still helping, right? The next step is, all right, now you do and I watch. I'm going to step back and I'm giving you leadership here. I'm giving you ownership. I'm not going to step in unless you ask me to. I'm, I'm letting you lead in some area of service. And then the final step is you do, somebody else watches. I've discipled you, now you go and do the same. We're reproducing ourselves, multiplying ourselves. That's the movement that we want to see. The process should be repeated over and over with somebody else at this point. You know, that, that person, you've raised that person up, they raise another person, they raise another person up, and you get the point over and over and over again. Fascinated with articles this week, I guess. Uh, this one wasn't too long ago, and you've probably heard legends about this. kind of an urban myth for a while that if you called 911 and, and uh, ordered a pizza they would get it as code that you needed help. That was really more of an urban legend uh, than anything. But a lady tried this. She, she called 911, and she asked for a pizza to be delivered to her. She gave her address and wanted a pizza, half pepperoni, half something else. And, of course, the 911 operator was like, you've got the wrong number, ma'am. I'm sorry. And she said, no, you don't understand. I need a pizza delivered to this address. And the 911 operator, he'd been working there for 14 years. He was pretty good at listening, at inferring, uh, and he realized this lady's in trouble. He had no knowledge of this urban legend. This was not code, but just by listening to the tone of her voice 
And by reading the situation, he realized this lady's crying out for help. And so he began to ask questions. Are you in trouble? And she said something like, yes, I'd like pepperoni and black olives. I mean, she would answer the question that he asked, but add something else to it. And as the conversation went on, he was able to decipher that she and her mother had been, a, a, had been victims of domestic violence. Her boyfriend had, had come to the house drunk and started beating on him. And she called the police. And by doing this, uh, eventually uh, he sent police to the, to the house. And understanding the situation, he told them, turn your sirens off before you get there so that he does not know you're coming. And you have permission to enter the residence and, and to arrest this guy and all this sort of stuff. But here's the deal. How easy would it have been for this guy to go, you know what, this is not Pizza Hut. Click. He probably gets calls like that all the time. I mean, think about it. How many times have you called 911 by accident? How many times have your kids done that with your phone? Mine have. But, I mean, they probably get prank calls all the time. I mean, seriously. But he was paying attention. And he listened, and he realized this lady's crying out for help. How many times in our daily lives do we just zoom through life completely ignoring people's cry for help? There are people all around us that are hurting. There are people all around us who don't know Jesus. And if we would just learn to look at our world the way Jesus does, if we would just learn to take time out of our lives and invest and making disciples, we will see a movement. So where's your place in that? Gideon's, some other area of service, mission field, ministry, some place in this church that God's called you to serve. Whatever it is, how has God asked you to be a part of this mission of living life on mission? Let's pray about that together. Father, we recognize that you've given us a calling in life, that you have given us a purpose in this life, that we are not just put here to take up space. We're not just to, to be saved and to wait around for you to return and just to sit back in our comfy chairs waiting for that day to approach. You've given us a mission and a calling to reproduce ourselves, to, to make disciples, to invest, to lead people to you, yes, but to invest in their lives. And we do that by living our lives on mission, being intentional every day, opening our eyes, allowing you to show us our world the way you see it and the people in our world that need to know you. And then being willing to, to begin those gospel-centered conversations to where we have the opportunity to share our faith and to lead people to you. But then, Lord, not to leave them there, but to, to continue to walk with them, to disciple them, to show them what it means to be a follower of Christ. Lord, I pray that we would answer that call to be on mission wherever we go, to live our lives with intentionality, to take advantage of the opportunities that you give us to share and to serve and to love those who desperately need to experience your love. Lord, there may be decisions you're leading us to make this morning. It may be that, committing to you and living our lives on mission. It may be you're leading someone here today. They've heard the gospel, and they need to know you. They haven't accepted salvation. And I pray as we begin this time of, uh, of commitment, during this commitment, I pray that they would come and allow me to share with them the next steps they need to take to follow you. You may be leading some to join this church family or to surrender to you in some area of ministry of, or service. Father, whatever you ask us to do, I pray that we would be faithful to obey you in this moment, but always, always, 
living in obedience to you. Lord, I pray your will would be done in this place, in this time, in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?